The text for this morning is from Revelation 21, verse 1, the first part, and 22, verse 17. Let's read that once again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. After the sermon, we'll sing from Psalm 143, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, last Sunday we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the fact that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and that he gave us new life. But this was an earthly event. Well, sure, what happened to the Lord Jesus was unique, but these things happened in our own backyard, so to speak in a world with which we are familiar. But what about the world that he entered to after that? What about heaven? That is a world which is not part of our experience. It is an unfamiliar world. It's a mysterious world. But the wonderful thing is that the Lord Jesus wants us to know about that world as well. And that is why in the last book of the Bible, at the very end, he gives us some last words about that world in the life hereafter. He makes these his last words because last words are meant to make an impression. They're important. They're important because of the message and because of the messenger. And these last words are from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is now seated triumphantly on his throne. He gave these words to the Apostle John to write them down and to pass them on. These words were initially meant for the Christian churches of the first century who were suffering under severe persecution. These people were hurting and needed comfort and assurance, they needed to be given a heavenly perspective. And these words are meant for us as well. Although right now we experience little or no persecution, we too live in a world full of suffering and death. We too need to be reminded that this sinful earth is not our permanent abode, and that the Lord God wants us to be near him. He wants us around his throne to enjoy his eternal bliss and glory. And that's what I want to preach to you about this morning. The theme is as follows, the Lord God beckons the believer to come into the new Jerusalem free of charge. And then we will look at three things. First of all, the destination second place, the call, and third place, the free gift. As I said, 
last words are important. And that's clear from what the Lord Jesus has to say to us in these last pages of the Bible, for he speaks about the destination of those who believe, about the new Jerusalem. In chapter 21, the angel of the Lord shows the new Jerusalem to the apostle John. The angel takes the apostle to a great high mountain and shows him the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And then John describes what he sees. He sees a city with a radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Around the city is a high wall with 12 foundations, with the 12 names of the 12 apostles inscribed on them. And these foundations were adorned with the most beautiful and precious stones ever found in the whole world. The city itself was made of pure gold, clear as glass, as was the street of the city, which ran through the middle of the city. And so it gives a most beautiful picture of the new Jerusalem. There is nothing unclean in the city. There is no decay. There is no death. There is no sin. There is no disharmony. It is a most desirable place to live in. And please remember that this is a vision and that the new Jerusalem is described here in symbolic terms. The new Jerusalem is not some kind of city as you find here on earth. No, the new Jerusalem refers to God's glorified people. And so when we read about the walls of the city, we should not think of actual walls. It describes the glory of God's church. And for that reason, we must not think of actual gold either or of actual precious stones. It's all symbolic language. The Lord describes the city in such a way that we can get some inkling of the beautiful and peaceful existence that awaits the believer. And yet we only get a glimpse of it all. Human language cannot describe its beauty. It's too inadequate. And then chapter 22 continues the description of the new Jerusalem. The angel of the Lord shows the apostle John another aspect of the city. He shows the river of the water of life. He shows him the tree of life on either side of the river. What does this remind you of? Does this not remind you of the original paradise? For there too is spoken of a river which flows through the garden of Eden. And there too is spoken of the tree of life. In this last chapter of the Bible, we are brought back to the beginning of creation before the fall into sin, then paradise was still unspoiled. That also was a most beautiful time. But there are differences between then and now. Wonderful differences. Here in Revelation, we do not find the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the original paradise, that tree stood there in order to test man's devotion to his creator. That tree is not in the New Jerusalem. Do you know why that is, brothers and sisters? That is because in the New Jerusalem, man will not be able to sin. 
We know from the first chapters of the Bible that man failed that test and ate of that tree and fell into sin. And at that time, the whole creation came under a curse that had horrible consequences. The curse meant in the first place that pure fellowship with God is now impossible. The relationship with God is broken. Man is no longer able to do God's will. Man could no longer communicate directly with God. Man could no longer communicate properly with each other either. All his words and actions were taint, stained by sin. Because of man's disobedience, death also became the enemy of man. And now also eternal death threatened all of mankind. And eternal death is nothing more than being cut off from communication with God forever. Eternal death means never to be allowed to enter his presence and to taste his wonderful goodness. It means never to experience his kindness, his warmth, his love. It means always to be in pain. It means always to be in mourning and sorrow. It means to be cursed forever. It says, however, that in the new Jerusalem there will be no more anything accursed. And so now the curse has been taken away. And death is no longer a reality. Death is no longer a possibility even, nor is sin. Those who now live in that new Jerusalem are in full fellowship with God. And they will no longer be able to sin. And they will remain so forever and ever. And now the text says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Second point. Who are the spirit and the bride? Well, the spirit, of course, is God himself. And the bride? Well, the bride is actually the same as the new Jerusalem. The bride is those who belong to the lamb. It is the sum total of all the believers. And so God, the Holy Spirit, and all those who belong to him say, come. But to whom do they say that? Well, they say that in the first place to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want him to come now. The same request for the Lord Jesus to come back is repeated in verse 20, which is the last petition of the book of Revelation. Amen, come, Lord Jesus. And they want him to come back and to vindicate them. They want him to realize his complete victory. From the persecuted church's perspective, this is quite understandable. For these people, they are suffering at the hands of their enemies. They want to be vindicated. They want relief. They want justice. They want the Lord Jesus to come back. What about you and me? Do you want the Lord Jesus to come back right now? I don't know about you, but I still very much enjoy this life here on earth. Even at my age, there are still many things to look forward to. But especially when you're younger, you want to do things, you want to experience things. Your whole life is still ahead of you. When you are married and have children, you want to see them grow up. 
You want to see your grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren? You want to enjoy this life? For indeed, the Lord gives us so many things to enjoy here on earth, doesn't he? Why would we want the Lord Jesus to come back now? But please don't think that when you die and when you go to heaven, that then you leave everything behind. For it is not so that the text speaks about a new heaven and a new earth, that it refers to something totally different from what we know now. No, it is clear from Scripture that it is speaking about a renewed earth. It's also what the Apostle Peter speaks about in chapter 3 of his second letter. He says that all the elements will be destroyed by fire, but that fire is a cleansing fire. It is a fire that burns away all impurities. It is a fire that will destroy everything that is evil and that has been touched by evil. And then the earth as we now know it will continue to exist. But without the impurities, without pain and sorrow and death. And that's what these last chapters are referring to. It speaks about renewal. It speaks about the reunification of heaven and earth. It also refers to our bodies. The bodies of the believers that are put into the grave will rise from the grave and they will become renewed bodies. Bodies that will never be racked by disease or pain again. Glorify bodies, but it'll still be your body. And so don't think that when you die and you go to heaven that you're going to lose everything. No, the Lord Jesus is preparing to come again. That means that you are not going to lose what you have now. On the contrary, you will have what you have now and much, much more. But you're going to be able to enjoy that in absolute bliss and peace. Nobody can take it away from you. Nothing. The second coming of Christ, you will also be able to recognize each other again and enjoy each other's company again. Also the loved ones who are now in their graves. You will live in a world full of beautiful vegetation and animals and streams of water. We will talk and we will sing with one another be wonderful but is everybody going to be part of that new Jerusalem well we know that that's not going to be the case new Jerusalem is only for God's children and so where does that leave you and me can we be so sure that we are worthy to be part of that new Jerusalem no doubt that's the question in the minds of many mine too for we know that we are sinners. We're not worthy. We know that we don't deserve such eternal bliss. Such eternal bliss. How can God love me? Look at the things that I constantly do wrong. I don't pray enough. I don't do enough. I fall into the same sins again. Look at my life. 
Why would God want to reward me in such a wonderful way? But now listen to what the text says. It says, once again, come. But then it says that to those who hear. And it says that to those who are thirsty. It says that to all those who truly wish to come, who all wish to be part of that new Jerusalem. You may say, well, isn't that ultimately something that everybody wishes? Doesn't everyone want to come to such a beautiful place as the new Jerusalem? What's the alternative? Look at what the book of Revelation says about the other destination. It says in chapter 21, verse 8, that the alternative to the new Jerusalem is the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Sounds like an awful place, doesn't it? What a contrast to the new Jerusalem. A fiery lake of death or a beautiful city of abundant life. Given the choice, who would not choose that new Jerusalem? But then you must remember that the text gives the invitation only to those who hear. What does that mean? What exactly do we have to hear? Well, you have to listen to God's word, of course, all of it. But you may say, God's word is such a big book. It consists of 66 books. We are told so many things in it. And there are also so many different interpretations. What exactly is God telling us in the Bible? Well, God's word contains essentially no more than two things. All of God's word can be brought down to those two elements. And what are they? His covenantal promises and demands. First of all, his promises. It's important to mention that first. You know what they are. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It's as simple as that. And that essentially is the essence of the gospel. These are spiritual blessings. These blessings are much greater than anything you will find here on earth. They are eternal blessings. But you also must believe those promises. And you must live out of those promises now. You must believe and trust that what you have here on earth is nothing compared to the riches that God has in store for you. But you may ask, why does God not give that eternal bliss to us now? We already have the forgiveness of our sins, don't we? The Lord Jesus Christ already won the victory over death, didn't he? Why do we still have to live in a world full of suffering? It's an age-old question. Why do we have to experience the death of loved ones? Why? So that you may hear. So that you may hear about the words of eternal life. So that you may hear about the new Jerusalem. And so that you may long for it. For at this time, as we're all aware, we only have a partial fulfillment of this prophecy. We still live in a world full of sin. And yet it's so attractive to us, isn't it? It's to me too. We enjoy it. And as I said, that's good. 
It's also the way God designed it. But time and again, God wants to remind us that this is only our temporary abode. Our citizenship is not really here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And the Lord God is going to reunite heaven and earth. For sure, it's still in the future. And now when a loved one dies, we long for that person. We long to be with him or her. We long for the fellowship that we had. But why do we experience that pain of separation? Why is it so difficult for us to say goodbye to each other? Why do we have such longing with those whom we love Well, brothers and sisters, such longing reminds us that we're incomplete. That we need that empty feeling inside of us to be be filled. That we need fellowship. That we need to feel loved and understood and accepted as worthy human beings. And when a loved one dies, God reminds us that ultimately such longing can be fulfilled only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can fulfill you and embrace you with his perfect love. Only he can make you feel complete. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But listen. For the new Jerusalem is only for those who hear and listen. It is only for those who want to belong to him now and serve him. It is only for those who are thirsty, thirsty for God and his people, thirsty for true unity and harmony with him and his people. It is not for those who drown their souls in earthly pleasures and remedies, not for those who are attached to this world and who will do anything in order to keep what they have because they think that's all they have. It's only for those who want to be one with God and his people. And it's those who practice that unity now who are not distracted by the sins of others or their own sins, but who seek fulfillment on the basis of the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, are you listening? For if we take the invitation to come to the new Jerusalem seriously, then you and I, we must also show that we want to belong to it. You see, God's promises or God's word does not just consist of promises. No, as I said, there's also the demands. What are those demands? Now, those demands are also clearly spelled out. They're summarized in the ten words of the covenant, the ten commandments. That's why you hear them every Sunday to remind us. God says to everyone who wants to enter that new Jerusalem, keep my commandments. Every single one of them. Keep them diligently. Do not play fast and lose with my commandments. For if you do not keep my commandments, then you will be, as it says in verse 15, like those dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And then you may say, well, how can you tell the difference? 
For we're all the same, aren't we? We're all sinners. We all break God's commandments. Ultimately, we're all sexually immoral and liars and murderers and idol worshippers. Sure, you're right. But there is a vast difference between sinners and sinners. A vast difference, a tremendous difference. And do you know what that is? It is this, there are those who do not want to live in their sins and those who do. There are those who are truly sorry for their sins and do their utmost to keep God's laws and those who don't care. There are those who daily go on their knees to beg for the forgiveness of sins and those who don't. There are those who regularly and gladly want to be under the preaching because they are thirsty for God's words and those who don't. There are those who love the Lord God and his people and those who are so attached to their earthly comforts that they will do anything and even sell their souls to the devil in order to keep what they have and those they don't. See the difference? So let me ask you, where do you belong? It's an important question. For remember, there are those who dwell inside the new Jerusalem and those who dwell without. And you may say, well, why do you say this to me? I'm here in this church building every Sunday. I listen to the preaching. I know my Bible. I know the confessions. Excellent. But the thing is, what do you do with the preaching? Do you live out of the promises of God? Are you so disappointed with your own sins and so thankful that you are forgiven them in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you want to be part of that new Jerusalem now already and into eternity? Are you listening? Brothers and sisters, listening to and hearing God's word is much more than showing up here on Sundays. Hearing God's word is a daily activity, is a constant thirsting for God and his word to be near him. He does not want you to worship him in your own way. He does not want you to take, to make up your own religion in which you choose which law you will obey and which one you will not. The summary of the law is that you must love God and that you must love your neighbor as yourself. It's so simple and yet so profound. That's what God wants from us. For remember, there's also another warning attached. Verse 18 warns everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book not to add to them or to take away from them. If you do, then God will add to him the plagues described in this book and take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Brothers and sisters, these are last words. Last words are important. Are you thirsty to hear those words and live out of them? For how does God quench our thirst? Well, the new Jerusalem has flowing through it the river of the water of life. And the living water is nothing and no one else than the Lord God himself. And as you know, the book of Revelation is speaking symbolically. The Lord wants us to show that all life has its origin and existence with God. Already in the Old Testament, that was clear. 
In Isaiah 44, verse 3, Isaiah prophesied, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And there the spirit of God is compared to the living water. And Christ himself says in John 7, verse 37, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Christ is the living water. Anyone who drinks from that pure source will never thirst. Christ himself is also called the Word. In his gospel, John began by stating, in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So when the angel here shows John the river of the water of life in the midst of Jerusalem, he shows that Christ is the life source of the church His word existed from the beginning of the world to the present time. And do you know what the wonderful promise is in the text of this morning? That's the third point. The text says that we receive that water freely, without price. That means that God's gift is free. It's a good thing. Can you imagine otherwise? Can you imagine if you were to say to God, look what a good person I am. Look at all the good things I did for my wife, for my husband, for my children and the church and the members of the church. Now God, because of these good things I have done, I think that I deserve it, that you let me into your paradise. Do you know what he will say to you then? He will say, get away from me, you evildoer. Do you really think that you have earned the right to be with me in the new Jerusalem? Brothers and sisters, in the final analysis, our good works are like filthy rags. No, the gospel is free. Salvation is free. Is there any greater news in the world All you have to do is believe and humble yourself and stand before God with empty hands and ask him to fill them, and he will. What God has in store for you and for me cannot be earned. Your church going, your Bible study, your prayers, your constant battle to fight against your sins, your keeping of God's commandments, they're all to be done only because you want to show your gratitude for what God has done for you. And look at what he has done for you and what he has in store for you. Only because of the great hope that lives in you, the sure hope of eternal life with you, Lord and Savior forever. Brothers and sisters, God has greatly blessed you and me, hasn't he? We experience those blessings every day. We have our own little paradise here on earth. This generation is richer than any other generation before it. But it's only a foretaste of what is to come. And that's a good thing. For this is also a sinful world. It's a world in the grip of the devil. This world needs to be redeemed, to be renewed especially when you get older and your body is racked by disease, you feel the need to be renewed in body and soul. 
and you long for healing. And then the time comes that you look forward to be with your maker. It's sad when loved ones are taken from us. But those who die in the Lord, who have shown a thirst for the free gospel of grace while here on earth, they will have their thirst quenched. Quenched for good. And so every time we make our way to a grave, we can do so with peace in our hearts. Oh yes, there's sadness, of course. For there's an empty seat in our midst. But let our hearts turn to joy when we remember that we too are and will remain part of that new Jerusalem through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God has spoken last words, important words, words of eternal life. Blessed are those who hear them and do them. Amen.